Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. So back to our study on the names of God. And this one's a little bit tricky because there's actually several variants of it and different versions of it in the Old Testament. So I kind of clumped them all together. There are some names that read out God of my salvation, God of our salvation, the God who saves, the rock of my salvation, the horn of my salvation. So I'm kind of lumping them all together under salvation. So tonight's name of God lesson message will be salvation. And of course, as many of us know, the name Yeshua the word Yeshua means salvation. So without going through all of the other variants, we'll go with Yeshua. And so understanding that Jesus, what is translated now to Jesus, was originally Yeshua because they didn't have J's. They, we kind of put that in the English, but originally it was the Yah sound. What we now say as Jesus was then Yeshua. So that means that this is probably the most important name of God to us because we all need saving. So it's important to know and understand and believe that salvation is his name. Again, going through the names of God, we're actually going through the attributes of God. It's helping us to get to know who God is and to have faith in who he is. If it's his name, it's his attribute. It cannot be changed or denied. It is who and what he is. Isaiah 12, verse 2. You don't have to go there. You can go to Matthew 1.18 if you want, because that's going to be our larger section. But I love this verse. Isaiah 12, verse 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. So though the name Yeshua means salvation, the name that God is my salvation has been since Old Testament times and through the prophets and, and through David and many times he was referred to as the God of my salvation. He is my salvation. So even by the mere name, Jesus was a revolutionary thing. Matthew verse 1 uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 18, says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. So they were engaged, but they weren't married yet. Then she was found to be pregnant. So he was just and kind and didn't want to make her a public spectacle because the first assumption is that she obviously must have cheated. So he was going to do, he was going to put her away privately and not marry her. But while he thought on these things, he prayed about it and sought the Lord. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, 
saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, or in the original text, Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the reason it says that is because that is the translation. You shall call his name Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins because that's what the name means. It means salvation. It means that he is here, that he saves us from our sins. This is such an important attribute of God. Because if you don't believe that he saves you from your sins, then you really don't believe in God or Jesus or the name of Jesus or the attributes of God. So this is very important to wrap your mind around. The name of God is his attributes to believe on the name of Jesus or Yeshua, which scripture tells us to do, is to believe that he saves his people from their sins. If you don't believe that, then you don't actually believe on the name of Jesus or in the attributes of who God is. And we know that Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, by implication believe that he is God, therefore that he has the attributes of God, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you can't please God if you don't believe God. And if you believe God, then you must believe that he is God and has all the attributes of God. And if you believe that he is God and has all the attributes of God, including that he can save you from your sins, then you will diligently seek him in order to achieve that. And if you seek him, you will find and be rewarded. That is the gospel message in one verse. So don't just believe that Jesus exists, but that he is who and what he is, that he is truly salvation. Believe his words and teachings because he is the word made flesh. And if you don't believe those words, then you don't believe Jesus, they are one in the same. He is the word and salvation is his name. Now, if you continue to read in that passage uh, in Matthew, the next couple of verses, uh, the, another name is given for him, which is Emmanuel, which was a prophetic name given from the Old Testament, which means God with us. So there's two names given originally, Yeshua, which means salvation, and Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord God, according to the names and attributes, came among us to bring salvation. That's the declaration given at his conception and given to Joseph, that you're going to name him this because it is the Lord God himself come among us to bring salvation. It's the word of God manifested in the flesh through the man Jesus. David prayed in faith for redemption. And that prayer, though prayed thousands of years before the birth of Jesus, was answered in Jesus. 
See, God exists outside of time, and that's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. A lot of the wrong concepts of God and wrong theologies can stem from the fact that people try to give God their attributes and try to put God in their time frame and in their limitations. God does not exist within the realm of time. Time is part of creation. Time and matter and space are all created. You need all three to work together, but God was outside of that during cre- when he created those things. God always was, always is, and always will be. So you find these weird conundrums in prophecy, like whenever you read in Isaiah the prophecy that explains the crucifixion of Jesus, there are parts of it that are talking future tense. There are parts of it that are speaking the right here and now as though it's happening in that moment, and there are parts of it that are speaking in the past. Yet at the time it was written, it was a future event, but it was God speaking who does not exist within our time frames. So for us, we have faith looking back to what Jesus did. And when we believe that and have faith on that and have faith on his teachings and his words, then we are saved by those things. But for those who lived before him, they looked forward in faith. There were prophecies that it was coming and they still had to to live by faith. So God was outside of time. And depending on where we are, we just look to him because he is salvation. The Old Testament or the New Testament, it was always saved by faith. The question is, is are you looking forward or are you looking backwards? David prayed in faith for redemption, and that prayer was answered in Jesus. Our faith goes back to him and what he did. Their faith went forward. Listen to David's prayer of repentance. We're going to go through David's repentance prayer when he needed salvation from sin. It's a perfect pattern prayer of repentance that we can all learn some humility and sincerity from. I think, you know, I, I, we all love the prayer. We sang it, we've heard it, we read through it, but I never really looked at it until God gave me this message as a pattern prayer for repentance. Because you look at David as Old Testament and Jesus came to bring salvation in the new, but it was all by faith. David's prayer praying forward still was affected in the moment that Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So the prayer is still a perfect pattern prayer of repentance because it was in faith to the Lord. So for that, we're going to go to Psalms 51. And we're going to do the whole chapter because the whole chapter is his prayer. Have mercy. This was David's prayer, of course. This was after he had sinned. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had manipulated to have her husband killed so that he wouldn't get in trouble because she had gotten pregnant. Like he had committed a bunch of sins and he was exposed and the prophet came to him and showed him his sin and said, you are in sin, you are in pride, you are in rebellion, you've committed murder, you're guilty before the Lord, you need to repent and get this right. David knew that the Lord could depart. You grieve the Holy Spirit, and he won't continue to work with you or use you. David knew that because he had seen the Lord depart from Saul. Can't play games with God. He is God. To believe that he is who he is is part of our faith and the humility of being um, in submission to that deity. David had a reverence. He understood that what the prophet was saying was true, and so he needed to repent or else the Lord, the Holy Spirit, would depart. Because when Saul sinned, he didn't repent. He tried to make excuses and tried to blame others. And the Holy Spirit departed from him. David knew it could happen. 
And it's happened throughout the Old and the New Testament. So David took it seriously, and this is his prayer. I'm I'm off track. I need to repent. I need salvation from my sins. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He begins his prayer with humility and petition. A true repentance prayer doesn't begin with you blaming everybody else for what you did or making excuses. That's what Saul did. That's what Adam did. That's why they weren't forgiven. When a person comes for a deliverance or comes to the altar and their first words are what everybody else is doing, I'm sorry, I, you know, come back when you're ready. You're not ready. David began his prayer with humility, with brokenness, with reverence to God, honoring him, calling out to him, identifying who he was speaking to, and petitioning him for mercy. It continues, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. That's confession. Part of the salvation process is confession confessing your sins again not blaming others or making excuses but acknowledging what you have done the bible says that we must confess our sins to god and ask for forgiveness and he showed his remorse for it by telling god that it was forever before him this was something that was worrying was eating at him there was regret against thee and thee only speaking to god have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. He took responsibility for his actions and he acknowledged that God would be right and just to judge him, to damn him. He humbled himself before God. Again, Adam and Saul did not do this. That's why their confessions were not accepted. Saul did confess. Actually, Adam did too. But they coupled it with blame, justifications and excuses. If you justify yourself, then the blood of Jesus will not justify you. He is the defender of the defenseless. Make yourself defenseless before him and he will be your defender. Justify yourself and he's going to back up and you're going to have to be your own advocate in the courts of heaven. And that's not something you want to do because the devil's a pretty good uh, persecutor. Prosecutor, same difference. (laughs) All right. So David took responsibility for his wrongdoings. He acknowledged that it was a sin against God, that he had hurt God by doing it. He continues, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Adam acknowledged the inherited sin and the need for salvation from conception. The importance of this, I think, is that recognition that even if you don't know that you did anything wrong and there's nothing that you can think of to say, okay, I sinned, I did this, we're still all born into sin because of Adam's sin. 
because Adam sinned, that evil spirit came to him, he agreed with it, then his children who were born after him all inherit that thing. So we need God to save us from it, to cleanse us from it, to remove it. So David acknowledges the inherited sin. There's no excuse. Nobody can say, I don't need salvation. Everyone is born into sinfulness, and they all need redemption. He continues, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Speaking about God, he desires us to be truthful in our inner parts to ourselves and to him. And in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God desires and requires that we be open and transparent with him, to trust and to seek him with humility, and he will show us what we cannot see, even about ourselves. When you come to God, it's important to say what David said in one of his songs, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. When you pray, there may not be things that you can remember, but if you sit there and let the Lord search your heart, he'll bring things to your understanding and to your remembrance. Even after you're saved, you're going to continue to grow because he's going to continue to show you things and you have to surrender to that in humility. His prayer continues, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. In this, the imagery and the wording, when, when Jewish people spoke, they spoke with imagery. They painted a picture with words that you could draw things from. David is expressing the brokenness and hurtful regret for his sins and trespasses against God as equivalent to the aching, the aching of a broken bone and how much you desire to have that mended. If you've ever broken a bone, you can understand the intensity of this description. He's, he's saying the sin within me, when I realize that I've sinned against you, that I've hurt you, that I'm out of right standing, it aches within me like a bone, and I desire for it to be mended. A broken bone. David, again, was a shepherd. He understood these things. When a lamb was rebellious, there were times when a leg might be broken, and then it would be more desperate for the hands of the shepherd to tend to it. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In this part, David was declaring his faith in God's words and promises to give us a new heart and to give us his spirit so that we can walk in obedience to his words and teachings as spoken by God through the prophets. There were prophecies in the Old Testament where the prophets would say things like God is going to give us a new heart. He's going to take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and put his spirit within us. And then we will walk in his statutes and then we will obey his commandments and then we will be saved. He will save us from our sins when he gives us a new heart and his spirit. He is salvation. He can do it. This is what it's going to take. So David is asking for the fulfillment of this prophecy so that he can walk in right standing. He's acknowledging that he doesn't have the strength to do it in and of himself, but he believes that it can be done through the power of God's Spirit, which is grace. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, when it prophesied about what would happen whenever um, God was pierced for our sins, it says that it would give to us the spirit of grace. That's the Holy Spirit. Grace is simply the power of the Holy Spirit released to us and through us. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David was acknowledging that God is not contained or restrained by man, but man is at God's mercy and his Holy Spirit can depart if we grieve him, just like David had seen happen to Saul before him. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Basically here, David was praying, God, make me an example of your mercy, grace, and power to deliver so that I can then be a witness to others of it. Because that's what love and gratitude does. It tells others what God has done. And David wasn't even asking fully selfishly. None of this prayer was selfish. It was a desire to see God's heart mended, a desire to see the wrong that he had done to God made right, and a desire to be made a hope and an example for others. That's where true salvation comes. There's a lot of people that say some words but don't have a real conversion because they never had a real repentance. And then we have this verse, which I think is probably one of the most important in his prayer. David prays, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. What is the word for salvation? Yeshua. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, Yeshua. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praises. He offered a sacrifice of praise, exalting God and humbling himself and his own image before God's greatness. He thanked God for his righteousness and acknowledged the fact that he needed him to deliver him from his own wrongness. The fact that he knew he was worthy of a harsh judgment. This is the same for all of us. This is how we come to repentance. And because God was willing to do this, then David acknowledges that he is eternally worthy of our praises. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. God does not want our works in reference to salvation. Trying to earn your way back into a place of worthiness or high standing with God is pride. It's pride to think that we can do it. What he really wants is us to be broken over our sin and selfishness, to seek him for help so that we won't do it again. 
He isn't waiting for you to fix it. He's waiting for you to acknowledge that you're the one that broke it. And ask him to fix it. And take your hands off of it or out of it so he can. The passage concludes with, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thy altar. So works don't save or make righteous. Only repentance, even in the Old Testament where we are. Only faith in who God is and in repentance and in seeking God for forgiveness with humble confession so that he will cleanse and strengthen you by his spirit. That alone will save and empower you unto obedience or good works, which will then be able to be performed. The offerings have to be given with clean hands and a pure heart. David acknowledges that God doesn't want the burnt offerings. He wants the broken heart. He wants you to be broken over your sin. That was why the sacrifice was instituted in the first place, because you were supposed to love the little animal. It was supposed to be something that you raised in your own house. And then when it died because of sin, it would make you broken and regretful so that you wouldn't commit that sin again. God was trying to show them, I'm going to have to do this to my lamb one day. Sin is going to cost something. When you do things your own way, it always hurts others and it costs something. It's going to be damaging. I want you to be broken over that. I want you to understand that so that you won't do it again. And David says, once this happens, then you can bring the offerings with a pure heart and clean hands. Not the other way around. David believed in the God of salvation and sought him for it. And he got it. Saul thought that he could stay in his sin and the God of salvation would be okay with it. But he wasn't. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. This is the New Testament. And it's basically saying the same thing that David understood in the Old Testament that Saul missed. Saul didn't take it seriously. He lost that salvation. He neglected that salvation. He didn't reverence. He didn't obey. He didn't trust God. 
He thought he could get over on God. He thought he could keep his sin and God would be okay with it. Here in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, what do we think will happen if we neglect so great a salvation that Jesus has given us, has paid for with his life and with his blood? That has not only been spoken in the Old Testament, it was just prophets that were speaking these things forth. We have a testimony, we have a witness, we have examples, and we have proof through diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Everything that the Old Testament prophets were prophesying that David believed on and got his salvation, the New Testament has proven to be true. With that proof that he is able to save you from your sins if you neglect so great a salvation, how much greater the damnation. He saves us from our sins, but only if we believe that that is who he is. The God of salvation who came to save his people from their sins. That's what the name Yeshua, Yeshua, Jesus means. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 says this, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. So the New Testament does give us commandments. And it says that we will please him and remain in him if we keep these commandments. And two of them listed here is to believe on the name of Jesus, which means we have to believe that he saves us from our sins and we have to love each other. Can you do that? Those two things, to believe that he can save you from your sins, to be willing to walk away from those sins because he has the power to do it. By faith, I believe it. He gives me the grace. I will do it. I will walk in it. It can be done. And I have to love everybody else enough to tell them that and help them to believe it also. Have patience by his grace and mercy. Those are kind of two big things. Believe. Psalms 68 verse 18 says this, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. I'm trying to show you that there really is no division between the Old Testament and the New. The God of salvation of the Old Testament and Yeshua, the one who saves us from our sins in the New Testament. Because the, the words are the same, they're prophetic going forward. This is a description of Jesus. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. Thou has received gifts for men. He gave us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yea, for the rebellious also, yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. That the Lord God might dwell among them. Emmanuel, God with us. Blessed be the Lord who daily loaded us with benefits even the God of our salvation, daily he makes that grace and mercy available to be the God of our salvation, to save us from our sins. Selah. He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God the Lord belongeth the issues from death. He overcame death, hell, and the grave 
But God shall wound the head of his enemies, crushed the head of the serpent, he made him his footstool, and the hairy scalp of such a one as goeth on still in his trespasses. Every word of this was a reference to Jesus. In the New Testament, it was prophetic, but it also says that he will crush the head of those who continue still in their trespasses, in their sins, though he has given them a way of escape from it. Sinners will be judged without excuse. They've been given the way of escape. It's been offered salvation from your sins or available. Not just salvation from hell, which many will believe, oh, he saved me from hell, I'm not going to hell. That's not in his name. And he doesn't talk about saving you from hell. He talks about saving you from your sins, which send you to hell. So by proxy, but it's not the other way around. Salvation from hell is a byproduct of being saved from your sins. When you are set free from the enemy of your soul, you are freed from his habitation also. So the question tonight is, do you believe on the name of Jesus? Do you believe in salvation, true salvation, the definition of the name that he can save you from your sins? We're going to end with Psalms 27, start in verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter. It's short. It's only 14 verses. It's a beautiful prayer that David prayed again in faith to the God of our salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. You can have that joy and that faith and that declaration when you truly believe that he is who he is and you walk in the faith and the grace of it. The Lord is my light, Jesus is the light of the world, and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even the devil himself cannot hold those who come to God in faith. You can walk away from any sin when you come to God in humble repentance and acknowledge that you need him because of your own guiltiness. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If you are delivered from the enemy's habitation, then you get to reside in God's habitation. But you cannot abide in both. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You will love one and reject or hate the other. A house divided cannot stand. He will not share his glory. But if you are truly repentant with full faith in who he is, walking in freedom away from those sins in humbleness, then you can have confidence, though a war rise against you. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me 
in his pavilion. This is important. This is how you get on the ark. This is how you get protection. This is how you end up under his hoopah, his covering. You have to be repented. The world keeps trying to bring revivals of entertainment and nothing is changing because people are not repenting. They need to go back to David's pattern prayer to see what's required. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. He was humble and desirous of the Lord. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. When he knew he had sinned, he came acknowledging and pleading in repentance. Thou hast been my help, leave me not. He understood that the spirit could depart. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsook me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies." Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelties. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, upon <laughs> the Lord. David cried out for help. But before he did that, he came in humble repentance because God is a God of salvation and he is able to save us from our sins, but we can't keep them and him. So I leave you with this. You cannot expand the territory if you can't kick the devil out of your own camp or else whose territory are you really expanding? So it starts with you. You have to start with repentance. You take your own territory. So Lord, tonight we just come to you humbly. We acknowledge you and who you are. Lord, if there be any doubt in any heart, let there be confession made to you. Let us acknowledge our own guiltiness and our need for you, Lord. Cleanse us with your blood and fill us with your spirit. Use us for your purposes. We can do nothing without you. There's no point in us doing any work if our hearts are not pure and our hands are not clean before you, Lord. If there is still an evil influence of sin or the enemy or rebellion or pride in our hearts and we go out and try to take ground, all we're doing is spreading the enemy's ground around, Lord. It's, it's, it's not doing any good for the kingdom. So we've got to start with us. We come with humble repentance. And once you yourself are repented and you've taken your own territory, then you need to start praying for your family because that's your inheritance. Pray for their repentance. That's your next mission. 
so many get saved and they, they want to change the world or some think they're saved and they're actually not even in right standing and they want to go out and preach and evangelize and take territory and do all these great things, but they're really just expanding the enemy's kingdom because they themselves are not clean. You are the first priority. And then your family is your next territory. That's your inheritance. And then your church family. Pray for your church family. Pray for repentance and right standing in them. And then after that, you can work your way outward and start fighting in the spirit for new territories, which is for others to join the family. We are the family of God, and we do desire to go out to get and to bring back in. But what are you bringing them into? Is it clean? Are you repented? So that's our message tonight. Yeshua, which is the name Jesus in Hebrew. It means he saves us from our sin. Many times in the Old Testament, God was referred to as the God of my salvation. It is one and the same. Do you believe in the name? This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.